So today we start our examination of the fourth vineyard core value, compassionate ministry. As we've done with previous values, we want to start with Vineyard USA's statement on the value as well as Phil Strout's video. Okay, so according to the uh, Vineyard USA statement, it says, Compassionate ministry, we lean, turn, we lean toward the lost, the poor, the outcast, and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus. As sinners whose only standing before God is utterly dependent on the mercy of God, this mercy can only be truly received in as much as we are willing to give it away. We believe that ministry in Jesus' name should be expressed in concrete ways through the local church. The poor are to be served as those serving Jesus himself. This is one of the distinguishing characteristics of a church expressing the love of Christ in a local community. It's a nice statement. You want to run that clip? Yeah. So I want to start today with the broad stroke look at the topic and then over the... Okay. Sorry, Phil. Didn't mean to interrupt you. (laughs) Anything else he needs to say? All right. (laughs) Let the man talk. So we're going to start with the broad stroke uh, look at the topic, and then over the next several weeks, we'll refine, define, and hopefully apply what it is that we discover. But even a cursory look at the gospel accounts of Jesus' earthly ministry is enough to conclude that much of what Jesus did was undergirded by expressions of compassion. In fact, let me make a declaration uh, this morning and say this. uh, Jesus is alive today. Jesus is alive today. What he did then, he does now. He just expresses it through a multitude of himself in willing vessels. He's still doing all that he did. He's still alive in you. He's still alive in me. He desires to keep that compassion flowing. So don't, don't lose sight of that. And if he were not, there would be no compassion ministry for us to embrace. If he wasn't alive today, listen... You know, when we were, we were in Southeast Asia, uh, one of the team members, we, we were doing the trafficking thing there, said, you know, so what, what are the other religions doing? She kept asking this question of all the NGOs we were working with, and finally one of them said, why do you keep asking that? No other religion does this. The Buddhists don't do it. The Hindus don't do it. The Muslims don't do it unless you're a Muslim. Nobody does this except followers of Jesus. It's the compassion of Christ that compels us. And it's a very real nitty-gritty thing. And I also want to say right up front, perhaps even as a form of warning to any who might think that compassionate ministry equates to liberal ideology or a bleeding heart mentality that coddles the whims of the users and abusers of the world, If anything, it is just the opposite. Compassionate ministry takes a stand for the oppressed and stands strong against the oppressive. Compassionate ministry is invisible children at work in the jungles of Africa, rescuing abducted child soldiers and chasing armed warlords through the bush at the hazard of their own lives. 
compassionate ministry is the rescued little girl who was trafficked and sexually exploited from the age of six who grows up and returns to the red light districts of the world to rescue others. Compassionate ministry compels us beyond our comfort zones and pushes us into the fray to confront darkness, battle evil, and expose the hypocrisy of the holier-than-thous of the world who would condemn the seeker, the sinner, and the the not-the-same-as-me saint to bondage of their own opinions. Ministering death instead of life and graceless judgment instead of mercy. Jesus called them blind guides, leading the blind and heading for a ditch of destruction. Here are a couple of one-liners from Jesus himself. Matthew 9.13, he said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 12.7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. Matthew 23.23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cummum, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Sometimes compassionate ministry is going to put you right up against the powers that be, right up against the party line, the good old boy mentality, and the status quo of the prevailing group mindset. Because compassionate ministry sees the humanity of the oppressed as more sacred than the hubris of the momentary dictators of the day. Compassionate ministry empowers with grace toward freedom as opposed to might that condemns. Here's an example. In John 8, early in the morning he came again to the temple, that is Jesus, and all of the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once, once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. I want to get on a little rabbit trail for a few moments out of this scripture in order to touch on and affirm something Eric said last week, which I'll quote in a moment. I want to look at the gospel writer's comment inserted in the middle of the dialogue between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees, where it says, 
This they said to test him, what they, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Ever wonder about that verse? Ever ponder that one? What charge could they bring? The crime has nothing to do with him. The woman was caught in the act of adultery, and Jesus was not involved in her indiscretion. So what dots are they trying to connect here? Lineage has always been, and in fact is to this very day, a very important issue to the Jews. The Gospel of Matthew opens with this statement in Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It then continues on for 16 verses, listing who begot who from Abraham down to Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And then in verse 18, there is this bombshell dropped right out of your ways are not my ways of God that has the incredible potential to either make or break this whole Messiah claim at any point in time. It's the inherent risk factor of the kingdom, the messy potential that can only be held at bay by faith. Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Boom. And so that you understand, betrothed is more than engaged, more than, oh, he went to Jared's. Look at what the scripture says about Joseph's response in verse 19. And her husband, her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her. Do you see the intensity of that, the finality of what it meant to be betrothed? It was as solid and as secure as marriage itself in the eyes of the Jews. And before he came together with his wife to consummate what had already begun, she was already pregnant. Think about yourself in that situation. Her husband resolved to divorce her. Now be assured if Joseph had been one of the scribes or Pharisees of Jesus' day, the charge against Mary would have been adultery. Right? Listen, there's no sting like the accusation that has truth in it. Even when the truth is twisted into a weapon to kill. The only refuge from that is what Eric stated last week. Jesus responded to the Father. He didn't react to the people. Ask yourself, do I respond or do I react? That's a big question. That's a really big question. Watch this dialogue between Jesus and the religious of his day in John 8.40. Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. 
You are doing the works that your father did. And he's referencing Satan. They said to him, now listen to this comment. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Do you see the accusation there? They knew his history. They had records of all this stuff. They knew what was going on. This wasn't just a statement about themselves. This was a statement about him. They were trying to connect the dots continually with the validity of his ministry to the fact that his mother, in their eyes, was an adulteress. We have one father, even God. Now watch Jesus. Jesus said to them, if, you were, if God were your father, you, you would love me. Now listen to this. For I came from God, and I am here. I came from God, and I am here. That is so profound. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. The accusation, you are illegitimate, is profound in its implication. Your illegitimacy disqualifies you from being who you claim to be. Because of your mother's sin, you cannot be Messiah. It would be virtually impossible. I love where Jesus goes with his response. I came from God, and I am here. Listen, you are hidden. You are hidden where? In Christ. And wherever you end up, it is because that is where he brought you. I am in Christ, and now I'm here. Whoever you're in front of, that should be important for them to know. I am in Christ, and now I'm here. That means that where I am, Christ is also, and God has something to say to you, or I wouldn't be here. God has something to minister to you, or I wouldn't be here. Because I'm in Christ, and now I'm here. It's significant. We are his ambassadors. We went through that in reconciliation, didn't we? We have a ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. That means whoever you are talking to, whoever you are ministering to, you are an ambassador of Christ. You are in Christ, and now you are there. You're here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And if the Father sent you, then you are sent as an expression of his great love and compassion. And Jesus conveys this uh, succinctly in the father's response to the return of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 20. And the prodigal, the son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, a long way off, what's that say to you? Dad was looking. Daily looking. Listen, his son was gone a long time. He squandered all his wealth. He went through a famine. He worked on a pig farm. He came to his own senses. He had to journey back. He was gone quite a length of time. But as he's still a long way off, his father, I can just see it on one of those flat top Israeli roofs, looking out. Is today the day? Is he coming home? Is my son returning? And when he was still afar off, how could he recognize this swill-covered young boy so emaciated by sin and famine and working and slopping pigs, but yet the love of the Father saw through all of that and said, my son is home. 
while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion, compassionate ministry, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Do you ever think of that as ministry? Compassion is compelling. Compelling in the sense that it provides the inner compulsion of our observations to become the outward demonstration of our emotional response to a given situation. It enables us to see beyond the glare of sin, shame, and guilt to the hope that is found in forgiveness, reconciliation, and salvation. Go and sin no more is divine release from the shackles of judgment and condemnation that leaves the sting of sin and death lying in a heap at the foot of the cross of Christ, allowing the once defeated to become the victorious in Christ by the power of his resurrection. Judgment cast down, compassion builds up, condemnation rejects and shuns, compassion draws near and cares. Accusations originate from the unregenerate mind, and compassion emanates from a new birth heart. Bondage and oppression are of this world. Compassion and freedom are divinely given. Compassion compels, and the response can be as varied as the situation. Here are several that Jesus encountered. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 6.34, he went ashore, ashore and saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them. Same scenario, different response. Why? Because compassion compelled him to respond to his observations. Mark 8.2, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Luke 7, 12. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said, do not weep. Now, that could have been an expression of consolation. It could have been an expression of his compassion. But it hardly meets the power of compassion. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, that's compassion. Compassionate ministry does not emanate from mere opportunity. There are hundreds of opportunities presented to us daily. Beggars on the street, the homeless, the incarcerated, the abused, the oppressed, the battered, those trapped in war-torn countries, child so soldiers, child sex trade victims, people who can't make their rent or utility payments, don't have gas money, are suffering from medical or psychological conditions, 
people without supportive families, people with no families, no friends, people trapped in poverty, having no food, no clean water, orphaned kids living in subways, huffing glue to escape the pain of what they have to do to survive. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. There's no lack of opportunity to express compassion. But if you're only looking at it at that level, it'll overwhelm you. It all becomes too much, too much to process, too much to do, not enough resources, too busy, no time, too dangerous. Compassion doesn't come from what you can see because we see it all the time. Just watch the news. Just read the paper. Most of the time, we just wish it would go away. Compassionate ministry emanates from the heart moved to pause, to capture the heart of God for the moment. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 14, 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You feed them. Pause for a moment. What's God saying? Last night, Rob Morris, founder of Love 146, said somewhere toward the end of his talk and later at dinner as we talked, mercy, compassionate ministry, is easy to do. You see someone thirsty, you give them water. Someone hungry, you give them food. Someone naked, you give them clothes. It's simply Matthew 25. This all flows from inside us. We see it, we feel compassion, and we act. It's when we come up against the issues of social justice that we confront systems and structures that resist our efforts. But I would add to this that at a personal level, sometimes even in doing mercy or compassionate ministry, we come up against systems, internal resistance, what the Bible calls strongholds of the mind, fear, opinion, racism, judgmentalism, and pride, to name just a few. And so we need to ask, what does Jesus want? What does he want of me in this moment? And the prophet Micah answers it so perfectly in Micah 6.8. The Lord God has told us what is right and what he demands. See that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern. Say that again. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. I want to share with you a prophetic word I received this past Wednesday uh, during worship at the New Hampshire Alliance Pastors Day Out event with Jim Simbala, uh, pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And then we're going to pray. As we came towards the close of, of the worship time, the music worship time, in a still small voice whispered so distinctly as to be louder than volume, I heard the Lord say, my presence will go with you. Now, when I heard this, I heard it as 
a corporate man, part of the body of Christ. This was not for me personally. It was for the church in New Hampshire. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest and my goodness that is in you will begin to flow out from you and my goodness will manifest as the glory of Jesus to manifest the power to save, the power to heal, and the power to set captives free. I saw a pile of chains that had fallen off of the oppressed. They were put on an anvil and a hammer began to strike them and sparks began to fly. The sparks turned to flames and the chains were forged into an anchor. Jesus is the anchor of your soul. And the Lord said to me, bind yourself to him and be secure in his love. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as we begin our journey, our adventure in exploring compassionate ministry. Lord, what a timely topic with all that is going on around us in the world. What a timely topic when something can happen in the middle of Africa somewhere and within minutes it's on our uh, TV screens. War can break out and within hours, oh God, the whole world knows. We are inundated day in and day out with bad news, with hard situations, with devastation, with destruction, with natural disasters, oh God. There endless stream flowing into our minds, oh God. And I know the enemy would beat us down, would overwhelm us if given the chance. But we have come to Jesus the resurrected king of glory, the king of the universe, and the lover of our souls, the savior of humanity. And we have been given compassion at a divine level, a compassion that empowers, that energizes, that gives vision, that gives solution, that brings hope to the hopeless, healing to the sick, sight to the blind, even raises the dead. So we bid you, Holy Spirit, come and fall on the church in New Hampshire. Come and empower your people to be compassionate as Jesus is compassionate. We are hidden away in you, O oh God, and we ask you to express yourself through our lives, O oh God. Show your goodness and your glory and your compassion and your loving kindness that the world would see there is a God in heaven who loves them. Help us to overcome ourselves, O oh God, and be willing to take the risk, to pause at the moment and to ask you, what do you want me to do, Lord, for this situation? And then enable us to do that thing, oh God. Father, we want to make a difference through compassionate ministry. So do your thing, oh God, as only you can, and use us to your glory and for your kingdom's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.